Hey there, guys, and welcome to the very first episode of the new podcast for AnimationForAdults.com. It is our new show, the AFA Gaming Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the interactive medium of video games and the animation that brings it to life. If you've listened to some of our previous episodes of the official AFA podcast, then you know we've had a couple episodes in the past where we've discussed video, uh, video games in general, uh, along with different franchises such as Nintendo and Pokemon. Um, and just a bit more, you know, talking about uh, video game animation, just kind of like on the sur- a little bit of a light conversation. Um, also E3 announcements, different game series, um, and also VR developments. Well, we've really enjoyed recording those episodes. Uh, we realized that the traditional podcast format really didn't fit with those topics, at least not in a way that we could really delve into what, you know, all the different like technical information and really fun aspects of video game uh, animation that separates it from feature film and television animation and really kind of dive into what makes it so special. So as such, we have decided to separate video game discussions uh, to a different podcast series to be a part of this, you know, this new program. And we hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, Let me lay down some important ground rules for our first time listeners, uh, whether or not you've come in from the official uh, AFA podcast, or if this is your first time listening to anything AFA or animation for adults related. Uh, these episodes, specifically for the AFA Gaming podcast, um, will be separated into a few different types. We have the game spotlight episodes, which will be focused on a more specific game or franchise, where we'll discuss the game's presentation, story, and of course, the animation. Much like our gaming reviews on the website, we will be looking into how well the gameplay tells or communicates the story to the player um, in conjunction with the animation on present, you know, on screen, and how that also ties into the narrative experience. The second episode type will be a bit more of a general discussion, or we like to call it the game roundtable, which is a more casual discussion of video games that uh, myself and other guests on this show will have experienced recently, whether those games be games released the same year that we're recording, or even older games that have been out for years. We'll talk about our first impressions of the games um, using the same guidelines. You know, how does the uh, gameplay tell a story? What makes the animation unique? And if there's any specific information or tips and tricks that players will need to be aware of before picking up the game. Uh, We hope to, in future, create some more different episode types regarding different, more technical discussions regarding the animation that is involved or animation creation involved in video game uh, development. However, we're just going to start with those two episode types um, and see how you guys like that. And if, you know, we'd love to hear more of your feedback and if you'd like us to start talking about more uh, technicals in regards to video game animation, we'd love to do, we'd love to do that, but I want to make sure that that's something you guys want to do as well. So feel free to uh, give us some feedback in regards to this series. And if you would like us to creating episodes regularly, and we will definitely take that into consideration moving forward. Um, There is also not going to be no specific length to the episode. We're just going to keep this in very kind of loose format to start with, and if there's any, uh, like I said before, if there's any other additions or critiques you guys would like to add in terms of how this series will develop, we'd love to hear your feedback. Okay, to kick off this very first episode of our series, we're going to do our very first edition of of the Game Roundtable. Joining us today is my very good friend and partner, Chris. Hello. Hey, Chris. Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
You are Rachel. I don't think you've introduced yourself. Oh my goodness, you're you're right. Yes. <laughs> Who is this lady speaking to us and what is she talking about? Yes, my name is Rachel. And joining me today is Chris, who's a co-editor and uh, co-owner of the uh, uh, Animation for Adults, our website. Mm. Our website. <laughs> and we are here to talk about some video games that we've played recently. Um, if you Obviously, if you've listened to our previous episodes of the AFA podcast, you already know who we are, hence my uh, initial forgetting to introduce myself, so apologies for that to our new <laughs> listeners. Um, but in the sake, for the sake of those new listeners, we're also going to do a small reintroduction of who we are, in case you don't already know, and some more specific in regards to our relationship, or at least our interaction with video games, you know, what genres we like, you know, what do we normally play on, what do we look for when we play video games, and our general knowledge in terms of game development and animation. So, Chris, I'm going to pass that microphone to you, and you're going to take it away. Okay. Hello. I'm Chris. I'm a gameaholic. Boom, boom. <laughs> I'm a gameaholic. Uh, no. I I have um I have basically played games as long as I can remember. Um I like when I was very young, I think I think the first like family computer machine thingy we had that was like my sis- older sisters uh, um was the Commodore sixty four. Which is going way back with the old tape player thing, oh, ancient wow. ancient thing. But the um, first first um, thing I had myself, my first ever games machine, was the Super Nintendo mm. or the the SNES, as we call it in the UK. I don't think I think Americans never call it that. It was like Super NES or Super yeah, NES. Super Nintendo or SNES. Yeah, we would that. In the UK, it was always SNES, so <laughs> we called it. And also, as was was much cuter than that horrible American design SNES. Yeah, <laughs> we had the we had the same design as the Japanese one with the curved, nice curved edges. Oh uh, right, I'd forgotten about that. And actually, actually, um, my my first gaming uh, machine was also linked to my interest in animation mm. relevantly because basically the reason I got it or the reason I was able to convince my parents it was a good idea at the time was because I wanted Mario Paint which oh, I did Mario. my very my very first animations on <gasps> excellent yeah so that was um, where I started my animation career <laughs> as so it were cool. That's so um, cool. So you're just closely tied to video games for that. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a long-time Nintendo fan. I've always loved Nintendo stuff. Um, and uh, I am a, I've always loved platform games. That's one of my favorite genres, um, the old 2D platformers. But then I moved on to the 3D ones as well. But I still I still like the original 2Ds. I like a mix of the two. Mm-hmm. And um, I did, I did, you know, then there was the point when I became a teenager and suddenly was interested in PlayStation and all the, the glossy, shiny things with more explosions and fast cars <laughs> and people raiding tombs and things like that. Oh, um, yes. So, yeah, I, I then went PlayStation for a couple of generations. Then I came home. I came home to the GameCube for a bit. 
<laughs> and then I um I then I went well what, what yeah so PlayStation Two and GameCube then uh we yeah that was the next that was the very next um, Nintendo system so you've you've really gone back and forth between um, both Sony and uh, Nintendo well starting with Nintendo yeah. and then kind of moving on to Sony and back and forth depending on what games were coming out right. Yeah, and then PlayStation 3, <laughs> Very good. which I mainly got because it was, a, at the time, it was the best way to get a Blu-ray player. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I actually had two different PlayStation 3s because I had one in it. I, got, I had like one of the old beefy ones and then I got a slimline eventually. Um, and then I've actually got a PlayStation 4. I haven't got a Switch yet, I have to say. Oh, um, yeah. So I imagine I do, that's only a matter of time, though. I do want one. I want my desperately. The fact it's that been you selling could, oh, super well. Oh, I completely forgot. Were you? Yeah, were you in there as well? Oh, <laughs> very good. Yeah, that, uh, I, in my mind, that's one of the underappreciated, uh, the underappreciated Nintendo system. I have a Wii U myself, but it's just a lot of people kind of overlooked that one because of the fact that it's really didn't have too many uh, exclusive releases, or at least it didn't really offer anything like groundbreaking that you know you just had to have a wii u but it did offer me one thing and that was uh, uh legend of zelda wind waker which um hd which i could not i could not find a logical reason why i had to pass that up so i literally got a wii u just for that game <laughs> fair enough it's it's got basically a very modest number of very 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 good games mm-hmm. that you could own uh, at well, a lot of them you still can only get on Wii U. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they released a souped up version of Mario Kart 8, but you could only get Mario Kart 8 on that event. And Super Mario 3D Land, or 3D World, mm-hmm. is awesome. I love that game. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there are some very good. I, I know lots of people swear by Splatoon as well. And, uh, Super oh, Mario yes. Maker. It has got a diehard fandom for sure, and I, I don't. From what I've seen of the game, I can't blame them because it looks like it's a whole lot of fun. It's kind of like um, what's the word? Uh, it's kind of like Nintendo's Team Fortress Two in a way. Yeah, I don't really play that sort of game, even the cute versions of them. Really, to be honest, mm-hmm. or first-person shooters. That's never been my interest. I've always. Why is that? If I may ask, just 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 to. Basically, just kind of you know, get that out there. I just what, what do you look for in a game? I like, I like um, interesting worlds and things like you get in three D platformers and also some sort of like more adventure games and uh, open worldy type things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also really like. I've really. Particularly over the past few years, I've been getting back into sort of adventure games. I, I used to like like point and click adventures. Oh, the classic! Back, back in the day, mm-hmm. and now I sort of got into the sort of modern equivalent things like Telltale games and things like that, mm-hmm. and uh, s- s- games where you base they're more like interactive stories. And okay. one of, one of the things I've discovered is that those kind of games you actually even if you're really rubbish like me, you generally get to see the end of them because <laughs> you kind of, you know, you just go through the story, you make choices, or whatever, but you can't really fail 
in a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really punish you for making one choice over the other. Generally, those games are designed to give you the free, you know, the illusion of choice, but not really like saying if you make one choice, it's going to punish you for uh, making said choice, at least not in a way that is immediately apparent. It'll change the outcome of where the story goes, but it won't necessarily, you know, stop you seeing the rest of the game. Exactly. The rest of that just comes down to being able to solve puzzles and uh, just being, make sure, you know, just staying with it to to follow where the story's going to go. At least I know that's how Telltale generally works. And also, uh, I do like, I obviously said Mario Kart, I enjoy sort of more fun racing games. I'm not interested in uh, like um, simulations. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, like more technical, like driving, where you say you look at the car and like, oh, well, here's the technicals of the car and this is how it would look on a racetrack, except not those kind of racing games. Yeah, the kind of race, basically any racing game where you can. Uh, throw things at your opponents is more interesting than, <laughs> oh, this is a really realistic thing. So, yeah. Um, and like some RPGs, but I don't like, I don't like turn-based, <laughs> to be uh, honest. Ah, yeah, okay. I'm more into action RPGs, and I so I'm I'm intrigued by Nino Kuni 2, because... Yeah, yeah, that's because it used to be... Um... The thing that used to be with the first game, that was very much turn-based, though it was kind of like a like a weird twist on it. But this is definitely more, um, you know, Kuni 2, um, Revenant Kingdom definitely looks like it's going to be a lot more of uh, action-oriented with the uh, mm. with its fighting, which is yeah. very exciting. Because I wanted to get into the first game, because obviously I love the Ghibli thing and it's beautiful, but it did annoy me. <laughs> no, and it, I'm, from my own experience with the game, it did get a little bit tedious and at least with the um, something, if, you, for, if you're not familiar with the first Nino Kuni um, in terms of its gameplay, at least you've, you've seen it but not played it. Um, while the turn-based style is not terrible, there is a certain level of grief that will be uh, given, you know, because of the fact that the AI is really not that great. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's like say, for example, if you're running around and you really need uh, one of your fellow party members to do something specific in order to keep this boss from killing you, they're not going to do it. They are very unhelpful, <laughs> which is really sad because it's just like this whole thing is supposed to be about bonds and friendship and surviving against the odds. But it's just like, I can't survive against the odds when my friends are not helping me out. <laughs> Please cast a heal spell for God's sake. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, turn base turn-based games have been both kind of have been really falling out of style recently and I like what so certain games are doing in terms of adding a more of an action spin on it but even like some newer takes on it, um, Persona 5 I was really super impressed with how they handled its turn-based because it felt a lot more, what's the word? Because um, fast-paced doesn't seem like it really fits it. It's like you could make a battle go really quickly because of the fact that it's not, you don't have to spend hours scrolling through menus. You can just press a button and then you summon a new persona and use a, like a specific technique in order to uh, get the enemy's weakness. And once you've found it, you knock them down and then you can just like wail on them for, until they, until they die, <laughs> which was really fun. But um, that's, that's uh, not here to talk about, but, I mean, that's not here what we're here to talk about today. Um, <laughs> As much as I love Persona 5, and I would love to do an episode on that at some point, we're going to save that for another time. Um, So, 
you've uh, talked about what your preference is for games and what you tend to generally tend to look for. Um, do you have a lot of knowledge or at least some, a standard amount of knowledge in one terms of game development or have you looked into that before? Well, um, I did used to, before I moved more into writing about animation more, uh, I did do a bit of game blogging. So, I, you know, I've got, which interestingly is where Rachel and I first met. Yes, this is, uh, this is very true. Site. Yes. This is very true. So that, that game site sort of gave birth to AFA in a way, sort of, eventually. Yep. We're, so it all, in a way, that's one of the things we're really excited about doing a new podcast is so we could properly talk about video games because that was one of the, one of the primary reasons that Animation for Adults started in the first place. So there you go. A little tidbit of information there. That you may some of you may not have been aware of a uh, secret origin story <laughs> it was a dark and stormy night <laughs> um and oh i didn't mention i also have a, a soft spot for the old um uh one-on-one fighting games as well oh yes the classic uh, arcade fighter mm-hmm. very cool um what about you your turn oh right yes okay i guess it's my turn um I'll say, or just to say again, my name is Rachel, and um, in my preference for video games, I basically started uh, playing games. I wasn't actually playing when I was growing up. I would actually, uh, most of the time, I would watch video games being played because we had a Super Nintendo as well. I think it was the very one of the very first uh, systems we had that my dad got, and then um, he taught my brother how to play. And then when I was born, I would basically just watch him play games like you know Super Mario. Um, Super Mario Brothers, you know, the, some stand, you know classic uh, Super Nintendo games like racing games and a whole bunch of stuff that was coming out for that system at the time. And for a long time, even when, like, say, the Nintendo 64 would come out years later and then the PlayStation 1, I was mostly just, just watching these experiences from a you know, distance and really not getting a whole lot of the interactive bits. I mean, I would play occasionally as part of, like, a two-play, if the game offered a two-player system, um, I would play along with my brother, but I really didn't have a lot of confidence in terms of the fact, you know, I didn't really believe I could play these games well if I did try to give it a, you know, give it a go. But, you know, years after, you know, watching my brother play video games, I worked up the courage to pick up the controller myself and then just practicing different games. And I tend to lean toward uh, games that have definitely have a more emphasis, more emphasis on story, regardless of how it presents that story. If it has a well-told, well-told narrative that I can get behind, typically, um, adventure, action, um, either open world or just, um, like one of those, like a grand RPG story or even just, you know, a fun action set piece. I really like to, I like those games that really kind of hit you in the feels. Like you play the game up to a certain point and then, it does something really different and then it kind of hits you in the feels like, oh, wow, this is like kind of building to what we've been playing up to this point. And um, I think one of the biggest influences I recall, at least in my early years of playing games, uh, was Metal Gear Solid. Ah, that, that, yeah. was, <laughs> that was a time. That was a game that gave me like, t- I was watching, I think it was when we first picked up that game. Um, we had, it was actually when we were living in England, believe it or not. Um, we had... We were living and we had a PlayStation 1 in while we were living there and my, we would play a couple of games on it like we'd rent from the uh, video store. 
and one of which I think we got a magazine, a video game magazine, which had a demo disc for mm -hmm. the very first part of Metal Gear Solid. We played it together. Uh, and, like <laughs> <laughs> and we got to the very first like major plot twist of the game is where you're supposed to go rescue this guy and then he just up and dies right in front of you and then that's where the game ends where the demo ends and we were both my brother and I were just like what what else is gonna happen what happened what's going on and then we weren't able to find out until we got the full copy of the game and then if any of you out there are familiar with uh uh Mr. Hideo Kojima's video games you know especially the Metal Gear Solid series you know how much of a trip they can be and this was a seven to eight year old uh girl who had just recently moved to a foreign country uh, trying to piece together what the heck was going on with all these uh, plot twists and, you know, you know, nanomachines, all that great stuff and, you know, giant metal gear, nuclear weapons, lots of, lots of cutscenes about nuclear weapons, which I actually, believe it or not, was how I learned about the darn things. Like, <laughs> I, I literally came downstairs after Michael and I, uh, my brother Michael and I finished a session of Metal Gear Solid. I literally asked the question, "What's a nuclear? Is it like what's a nuclear weapon?" <laughs> <laughs> Imagine this eight-year-old, eight-year-old just like randomly up asking that question just while you're in the kitchen. I'm just like, "Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing?" <laughs> but yeah, um, point-and-click adventure games were also a big favorite. I think those were the literally the, the first games that I had the, a lot more confidence to play on my own because it literally is like, you know, you point, you click, you go, you read some dialogue. But um, I'll always be really grateful to uh, of all those text-based video games because of the fact that um, uh, growing up I was diagnosed with dyslexia and I had a lot of uh, some pretty bad difficulties reading uh, growing up in school and I had to go around from different schools in order to find, you know, ones that could, you know, basically help me, you know, overcome my disability, or at least find ways, better ways to deal with it. And one of the reasons, and one of the ways I practiced reading was primarily doing those text-based video games, whether it would be a point-and-click adventure game, or like, say, reading the text in Legend of Zelda, like, um, what was that game? Uh, Ocarina of Time was also a big one for me. And so it was kind of going back and forth between a bunch of different uh, consoles and, uh companies just basically just going to games that just really pulled me in regardless of what uh they were from whether that be nintendo um sony or even later on uh some microsoft games when they uh when they released the xbox the original xbox really kind of pulled me in and just you know halo i played first person shooters rpgs jrpgs platformers fighting games um a few couple racing games as well so i'm, I'm pretty much gone like the whole whole freaking gambit as long as basically if there's something that really speaks to me in a game and in terms of what I'm looking for it really comes down to just the fact that you know it's a it's got to have a well-told story and regardless of the format that they choose to do it whether it be constructing the narrative yourself by guiding characters through choices or just a really well laid out game is primarily what I look for. And at least in regards to developmental knowledge, I am more of a um, casual fan in regards to, I really don't know a lot of the technicals when it comes down to constructing um, video games or even more, uh, less so on animation, but I am learned a heck of a lot since I started writing for animation for adults, since I really want to speak to 
um, that audience or that particular uh, you know group of people who do know a lot about this. And I have learned so much. I'm still got a long way to go, but um, I really, I've really enjoyed learning, you know, all the different aspects of, you know, in terms of, you know, animating different types of animation in video games from, you know, the motion capture that we've seen from Naughty Dog to um, even like way back, way back with um, pixel art as well. I have a, I've learned a lot about that. And it's just, it's, it's so, it's so cool. <laughs> the different types of uh, like how, how far it has come from, the traditional pixel art and what you could, what could be done with that to the fact that we now have actors portraying characters, you know, in motion capture and then having just these almost cinematic like performances um, in, in game, both in, in, in a cutscenes and out of game in, in, in game uh, material. So it's, I just find that so fascinating in just a matter of decades, video game animation has just, you know, evolved in just leaps and bounds. And I just really want to, have a place where we can give some proper context to that, or at least some, you know, delve into that a bit more. So yeah, that's, uh, I know that was a bit rambly, so I apologize, but um, that is my experience with video games, such as it were. And I guess from there, we're going to go ahead and get started with our discussion on some games that we've had a chance to play recently. So to start with, I think we're going to go back to you, Chris, since I've talked long enough. Um, (laughs) What was uh, one of the video games we're going to go, two by two uh, today, since it's just the two of us, we're going to go two by two and talk about two games that we've had a chance to play recently. Um, And again, using the format of how does the gameplay tell its story and what makes the animation unique and anything that any potential players would need to know prior to picking up the game. So Chris, we'll start with you. Um, Any, what games would you like to share with us today? Uh, Well, one of the games I've been playing a lot recently uh, is a game that recently celebrated its first birthday. Oh! Uh, actually, it celebrated its birthday pretty much the same day I celebrated mine, funnily enough. Oh um, gosh, really? Okay. Or they're about or the same day or the next day. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it's obviously younger than I am by some way. Um, oh, come on. Um, it is a open worldy adventure game uh, from Gorilla who Gorilla Software who are a Dutch company I believe I, mm-hmm. just, I got that open open uh. <laughs> excuse yeah, me uh, we are experiencing technical difficulties yeah they are a, a Dutch game studio um, who are be- best known for the Killzone series Mm. which is a series I'm not particularly interested in because it is a first-person shooter. But I know they were also very technically advanced games. Mm-hmm. But this is a very different game because it is um, an, basically an action RPG, but um, open world. It's listed as action role-playing, but it's it's an open world game with lots of different paths and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um it is set in a post-apocalyptic future, America, I believe. It's I'm not sure if it actually specifies on mm-hmm. screen that it's it's America, but it's supposed to be. Okay. Um, and it's where some sort of disaster has ruined everything, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and basically people have gone back to living in tribes. 
um, without advanced technology. But also there are, you don't know where they've come from, but they're, they're like machine creatures wandering the landscape. Mm-hmm. They are like machine animals. And there's all different species of machine animals. Um, there are um, like ones that are like deer. <laughs> there, there are ones that are like, um, they're almost like um, uh, rap- raptor sort of thing. That um, they're called watches, and they uh, they uh, you have to watch out for them because they, when they spot you, they um, come after you, and they they basically tell everyone, all the other creatures in the area that they found you, and they mm. can also shoot things at you. Um, and uh, there's there's gi- giant big ones <laughs> called uh, like walkers or something that are like huge giant like bigger than anything on earth sort of diplodocus sort of size <laughs> with, with huge towers that you can climb which is one of the just in the game to sort of open up maps oh again that um that's how you uh that's kind of like assassin's creed where you have to yes, climb the, whole, yeah. the tall towers in order to you know sit where the eagles are and then you use your eagle vision to like expand your map oh that's so cool and just to make sure when we say the actual title this is horizon zero dawn that uh was yeah. released last year did i not mention it no. <laughs> I was just, just for, for the sake of everybody, he's like, this is, we are talking about Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, yeah, that's a bit of an oversight. You forgot to say your name. I forgot to say. <laughs> it's all right. This is the very first episode. There are some, you know, we'll pull out for a couple of mistakes. Yes, Horizon Zero Dawn is the name of the game. Sorry. It's all right. Please, no, edit, yeah, edit that's fascinating. <laughs> That, that, that's that's kind of that they take a similar mechanic style to expanding the map like Assassin's Creed. Obviously, I think that this would be a lot more visually interesting than just climbing a structural tower. Just that you're you're climbing this giant flathead. Like yeah, that, that's describing this this particular like giant machine. So it's very tall, like almost like a giraffe looking, but just like much taller than a giraffe. And it's kind of got this like flathead. Like I think that's yeah. one of the um, Long neck is what they're called. In the, um, uh, the cover art, correct? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Um, and they are. There's also something that's been happening in this world is that some of the machines have become corrupted, mm. um, and they get even more hostile than normal because they're not generally the most friendly things. Because uh, people do go around hunting them, which doesn't mm-hmm. help um, with bows and arrows and stuff, because. As I said, all the technology is has gone back backwards. Um, and you played this character called Alloy. Um, see what they did there with the names? Cause, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I was going to mention that. It's like I remember uh, watching it uh, last night, and it's like, hmm, I, I find that very that very funny. They're just like, oh, Alloy or Alloy. <laughs> okay. And the um, this the story sort of starts off with her as an outcast from one of the tribes. Um, and, but as basically as she comes of age, um, she sort of tries out a, a, something called approving to be allowed back in the tribe. And she's been brought up by this guy who's another outcast, who's not actually her father, but he's like a father figure to her. Mm. And uh, at the proving, some things happen. Everything goes a bit 
pear-shaped and people attack and stuff and uh mm. yeah i won't give away too much but um uh yeah i think that was that was up to where i um i finished watching like i was watched just a little bit past that but yeah that's oh it, it, i love the way this game presents its story <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's it's very beautifully made and um yeah there's there's all different ways it um unfolds the story because you can sort of like find bits bits of evidence all around mm-hmm. like you find like um cause, uh, one of the main mechanics is uh you have a um like a device called a focus oh yes yes and it's um she Eloy finds it somewhere and put it on and basically it sort of connects with your it's obviously a technically advanced thing which they the people don't know where it comes from <laughs> um you, you can use it to scan things and find like uh, find tracks and things like that mm-hmm. and also it's useful for find, like finding evidence and you'll just find like a little um little file or something that's got like a snippet of history from the um past oh okay yeah and i i wondered if there was um I wondered like who was responsible for writing this because there was seemed I don't know if there's like be localized at all but there was um a little bit of there was a bit of history and it was it was um something from the UK and oh and it was um it seemed like it was it was um putting a little bit of um politics into the story um, about the importance of protecting our NHS which I thought was interesting <laughs> And uh, it, you know, it seemed to have a bit of um, a jab at some of the political institutions over here oh. in, a, in a way. And I thought, mm, I wonder who's responsible for writing and whether it's the same everywhere or if they. Sort of... Yeah, I unfortunately, I do not own the game myself, so I would not be able to uh, speak to that. Um, I do definitely want to get this game at some point and play it. Um, well, a lot of the games that we've reviewed on the website thus far, and including since it's basically basically stuff we uh, purchased out of our own pocket. So it's just like, you know, you want, there are so many games that come out and you want to play them all, but then, you know, well, especially when games like this, when they first come out, like at least in the U S it's, I know it's like 60 some or over $60 in order to purchase it. So that's why kind of why I've held off on getting it for so long is the fact that it's, it's pretty, it's stayed at a high price for a long time. And hopefully at some point when it comes on sale, I'll get a chance to purchase it and play it. But even just watching like the first couple hours of gameplay, um, the thing that really struck me, I mean, obviously, yes, um, it is a very visual, uh, visually, it's a very beautiful game. And I love, and we'll get into a bit more of the specifics of that animation in just a sec, but in terms of how they, what, what Chris has been talking about with this, um, how it tells the story of uh, Aloy and her journey to basically kind of, I was like, it's with her journey. It's like, not just for acceptance in this tribe that she's been outcasted from for so long. Uh, but also just kind of get the truth of, okay, why was I outcast in the first place? And also kind of a bit more of the secret of what's, you know, why does this, why is the world the way it is? She's very inquisitive. And I like that's, I like that trait about it that they establish very early on. They establish how dissatisfied she is with being an outcast, even though she's, you know, being raised by a very uh, kind mentor. Um, and then also her curiosity in regards to um, relics of ancient technology, including the focus, which she finds. And I absolutely love the fact that that is the, um, that they give story importance to the, um, 
what's they call the HUD or HUD of the game, which basically, you know, like you said, used to scan items um, in order to, you know, find things and craft items and, uh, you know, tracking these different creatures. I love how they've given that story significance and make, you know, giving Aloy a kind of, like um, a bit of an edge when it comes to, you know, just, you know, over the other characters in the story who may or may not have it. And then even finding another character who does have it is, you know, is a, a you know pretty significant you know moment because she's like oh wait someone else has this I thought I was the only one who found the one of these things and knows what it does but she's not the only one. Yeah, there's um, and the the gameplay is very mixed. So is there's uh there's lots of like exploring and climbing and stuff and also action bits with um and one of the other main things that you can do is um over you can sort of override some of the machines you can sort of hack them and uh basically uh ride them <laughs> that now that part's really got me curious because i know that was um from when they were first showing early features of the game before it was released that that was something you can do but now that i've kind of gotten a more introduction of how like how the story is being presented and how you know something like this really does not happen at least not in the area where aloy grew up because i think they've established they established pretty early on that her particular tribe or the tribe that she is mostly related to is kind of very, you know, anti-technology period where Mm -hmm. there are some clans that are tribes that are, you know, a little bit more lenient with that. But um, I want to know if that's something that that particular ability, if that's something that other clans embrace, or if that's just something that Aloy discovers how to do and just does it. And it's like, you know, making her even more of a kind of like an oddity in the world, which is something I really just really enjoyed just getting to know her character and just watching her grow, at least yeah, in those first couple of minutes. It's really awesome because it sort of plays to me like a whole bunch of my favorite games all mushed together. It feels a bit Tomb Raider-ish, the Tomb Raider reboot. A bit, yeah. A bit Assassin Creed, Assassin's Creed-ish in places. And um, as we said, um, and also there's, they're sort of bits that feel a bit like story games, like telltale games, because there's um, bits where you you have conversations with characters and you have to choose what to say and things like that. So, Oh, right. There is a conversation system in this game. And yeah, and I, it, it's a very, it's not like a, it, it's kind of see some massive, well, I think that uh, Bioware um, mm. influences, because I think they have little symbols, at least, you know, like, so you, you can say something or you can, choose the attitude in which you have yes, Aloy yeah. respond, whether or not it's more compassionate, whether it's more um, intuitive or aggressive, mm-hmm. um, which is a neat idea. And and we'll get to it when we get to the inf- uh, animation part as well, because the conversation systems, I know, have uh, very specific methods in terms of telling, you know, having animated, being animated as well. But um, in regards to just how they implement it, it's, it, it's a nice little touch. It's not, I wouldn't say it's the best uh presentation of a conversation system i've ever seen in in a game like that but i like it's it's that's really not what the focus is the more focus of the game is being able to control aloy and uh explore these unique environments and see these uh really uh uniquely designed machines that's the focus is but the adding of a conversation system in order to help you know find more information about the world is a nice touch mm-hmm. i mean i I have only very briefly like seen 
the Bioware games. I haven't really played them, so I can't really compare. But for what it's work, for what it is in the game, it works fine. Mm-hmm. And I, I like it as an added other side to the game. Yeah, definitely. So, um, did you want to talk about more of the animation of Horizon Zero Dawn? Since we've, we've, I think we've discussed a good bit of the story without having to give anything away. Because we want to make sure, because we do want to stress that this is a game that is definitely worth purchase. This is a very good looking game, I will say that. Uh, the character, I have seen some people have sort of criticised the character faces or whatever, but they look pretty amazing to me, <laughs> to be honest. I We've talked on the main podcast, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the sister podcast, whatever, what are we going to call it? Um, <laughs> uh, a bit about one of the major advances over recent years is like the eyes. Yes, eye animation. That they don't look so dead anymore. And I've also noticed that mouths is another thing that's really come on. Um, I noticed it with this and I noticed it with um, uh, another game I played a lot of. I played um, Until Dawn, which is mm. a, um, mm-hmm. a very story-based game, but that has really impressive facial animation. And okay. that, was one, that was one of the elements was the eyes and the mouths look like they've put an amazing amount of effort into them. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, um, I think it's because a lot of it, especially like you see that with, um, with Naughty Dog games where they have like, like the motion capture for like the major, like, you know, performances, but then once they take that motion capture, they do a lot of hand crafting in regards to the, um, performance animation. I think from what I could tell, at least from the cinematics for the, um, for Horizon Zero Dawn, there is a good deal of that. At least it seems to be. If there's Mm -hmm. any, if there's any specific information of how the animation process, um, really went i haven't had a chance to dig into that i am i believe there should be um at the game developers conference uh coming up this year actually they are going to be having um an animation discussion in regards to i think that's primarily going to be most uh, more of the um the machine animation which will be really fascinating to tune into uh but from what i can tell it seems like roughly you know pretty similar like with the uh animation for like where you said a lot more handcrafted expressions which um in the main cinematics i don't know if that's the same case for the um scenes that are in the conversation system however like i do notice a bit of uh, a bit of sniff a stiffness to it and, but that's kind of inherent with that particular form of dialogue anyway but in even regards to other performances where i've seen like you know uh, that's how mass effect mainly works because you have a bunch of different branching dialogue trees and you have to have a certain number of animations programmed into the system for different conversations, depending on what the player chooses. But even, you know, they, even those can feel stiff after a while, but um, it depends on how they decide to play it out. But even Horizon Zero Dawn does not do that bad of a job with it. I mean, it's not perfect by any stretch, but it's not enough to distract from the whole experience, at least from what I was, from what I was able to see. It'd also be interesting to see how it's different on the, PlayStation Pro, but I, I don't have that, so mm-hmm. I can't I can't uh, speak to that. Uh, and the animation on the machines, as you mentioned, that is they are really brought to life in a really special way. Um, yeah, I think that's the most impressive, um, in animation wise. I think that's the most impressive aspect about Horizon Zero Dawn. Not so much the character acting, but the character acting specifically regarding the machines is really really something else. 
I think I remember talking with you on our like E3 episode when it was yes. first first revealed, and that was one of the games that we were all excited about. And mm-hmm. I think we were talking about it's kind. Of, it seems kind of like a techno techno version of Princess Mononoke. <laughs> and what, some of the characters seemed almost like they were based on some of the demons and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I don't think, and I don't honestly think we were the only ones to make that comparison in regards to um, Mononoke and uh, Mononoke and this game in terms of its style and presentation. But it's just, it's. I think it's just because it's the right, it's the right level of just kind of like uh, out there in terms of like its presentation. The fact that it's, it's a man versus nature. Uh, theme, but not so much in a way that you would traditionally expect. Mm-hmm. Because I really like the idea of the fact that you have these, you know, machines that behave and act like animals, but there's also not the mentality of like, you know, oh, these things must be hunted down, or et cetera. And it's, I really like how they present in the very beginning as you see um, Aloy's mentor teaching her the ways of the wild, and basically, you know, these are things to be respected. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very kind of like how you know what's the word i'm looking for like you know tribal life in terms of respecting nature as a god like every yeah. aspect of nature as a god and i really like the the in kind of touching on that in this um in this story with uh, the machines they're obviously the things that brought the machines to you know brought them to be they've kind of at least this particular tribe have um they basically say, okay, that, that place is forbidden you shouldn't go there you shouldn't interact with that technology it's you know it's evil it's not good but in terms of the actual machines that they have to coexist with, they are legit coexisting with these things, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool. I mean, it's really tempting to say I'd love to see, because the world is so ritually brought to life, It's you feel like you there could be so much done with it. Mm-hmm. You feel like I'd love to see an animated movie or, or series based in this world, but... You know, we know how well most game-based movies have turned out, but it would be tricky. You would have to. I mean, obviously, um, unless you're literally doing a, um, just like a cinematic recreation of the game itself. But again, part of what makes the game so special is not just those cinematic parts, which mm-hmm. do exactly what they're you know they're supposed to do, but how you approach playing the game. And then you take your own personal experiences in terms of going out about side quests and finding new solutions in order to um, successfully get, you know, finish those side quests and keep moving on and your own personal exploration. That's a huge, people forget that that's a huge part of what makes those kind of games special, no matter how wonderful the cinematics are. The, the big difference between watching a game versus playing a game is how much you bring your own experience into playing it. and. Mm-hmm when you put that in a, a film, I mean, obviously, depending on how you present the story, you can still get the, you know, to a degree in a, the same emotional reaction as you could with the game itself in regards to the cinematics, but you're going to lose that element of interactivity or the um, emotional ties because of the interactivity. I'm probably not phrasing that right. There's probably a term for that, but it's um, that I am not aware of, but that's, that's kind of what I feel like is lost when you translate a game to film. I just need a really good story, but uh, <laughs> this is um, it's the world itself is interesting. So, I you could put if you had the right story, it'd just be an interesting setting for more stories. But 
so far we've got a game and it's a really good game and that game is called Horizon Zero Dawn. That's the yes. name of the game. Yep. To make sure I've mentioned it enough times, Horizon Zero <laughs> Dawn is a good game. There we go. Yes. Uh, and also uh, the version I've got is the complete edition because they did a um, uh-huh. they did a like a DLC release. Um, which is called <laughs> which. It is called uh, The Frozen Wilds. Aha! Uh-huh. Okay. And if you can, you should get the complete edition because then you get the um, you get the Frozen Wilds included. So there you go. So basically, it's it's preferred. I think it's it's good if you're you know try to get as you know this particular package. So that way, you get the full game, not just the original game that was released a year ago, but also. The, you know the extra content that has been released since then mm, and also it comes with a digital art book oh that's even better because mm. i think if there's any game that you want an art book of this would definitely be the game for sure oh, there is actually a proper as in physical hardback um, oh okay uh, art book as well i i noticed as i was looking around on amazon the other day so that okay. might be worth worth looking at as well Indeed, we'll make sure to leave links for both the um, the complete package of the game and also the art book in the show notes. So if you're curious about looking into that, then we'll make you'll be able to check it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I may take the floor for a little bit, there's a game that I would really like to talk about. That I actually just finished about two days ago, even though this was a game that came out um, 2016, just late 2016, um, and that is a little game called Abzu. Uh, it was a game developed by a new, relatively new studio called Giant Squid, uh, which was co-founded by Matt Nava, if I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who um, is known as the art director, f- who's been the art director for both uh, Flower and Journey from uh, that game company. Um, and this game was released in August 2016. It was uh, developed for three years with uh, about a team approximately of uh, 13 people. I think uh, 10 was like the, um, what was the word of yeah, probably 10 to 13 people, I think, was the, the general size of the development team who worked on this game. And um, it, a lot of these same people who were involved with Journey, including Austin Wintory, who composed the musical score for both Journey and this game. Um, to give a bit of the premise, the game follows a diver who wakes up in the ocean with no idea, you know, who or what it is. You know, it does not really define gender, he or she. Um they wake up in the middle of the ocean, no idea who, you know, who they are or why they got there, and basically the game follows this diver as you explore the ocean um, that they find themselves in, um, finding that there are quite a few bits of places in the ocean that are very much devoid of life. They seem to be sucked dry of it, and then you find a way to restore life to those different parts of the ocean, and you must you know, find out what has been causing the ocean to... Uh, kind of wither and die and also find out what your general purpose you know where do you fit in in this big wide ocean like why are you here in the first place and in terms of just my general opinion of the game um if people who are familiar with um my review of journey which i'll leave in the uh the show notes here journey is one of my all-time favorite games like it's it's easily within the top three if not number one um so when I found out that the same people were going to be working on a 
new game on a new studio, I was very excited. But somehow, some way, you know, whenever you get really busy with other things going on in your life, sometimes you'll miss those release Ooh. dates. Okay. But uh, as, you know, as can happen, you know, life will kind of distract you from those, uh, say, when a game comes out or a release date of a game that comes out. And um, that was the same case for me. I unfortunately had a lot of things. 2016 was a very busy year for me. And somehow, some way, I missed that release. And even, you know, about two years later, I still hadn't really got distracted by a bunch of other different things and didn't chance to have a chance to come back to it. However, I did find it again on PlayStation uh, Network for my PlayStation 4 and downloaded it and had a chance to play through it all in one night. And it was a very special experience. I can't say it topped my experiences I had with Journey because that was a very unique experience uh, that I'm never going to forget. But I'm also never going to get never going to forget this experience in terms of how much it brought to life uh, the ocean and just kind of the, the beauty, the inherent beauty that is, you know, that is under, you know, the undersea um, environment, which was just, you know, a bunch of different, like from the more shallow, like, you know, uh, more temperate uh, waters with a bunch of different, you know, coral reefs, and then all the way deep, deep down, all the way to the, like, the darkest depths of the ocean all the inherent dangers and even some other stuff that you might not expect, but very rarely do games kind of give you a chance to really appreciate that kind of environment when you're, um, when you play a game and uh, when you have a game that presents swimming as part of a mechanic, because more often than not, they'll give you like um, an oxygen meter, which you can only stay underwater for so long or some kind of inherent danger that you always have to like um, get away from. So you really can't pay attention to what's going on around you. But this game really takes you know there's still danger present present in uh abzu but it's not the kind that will really distract you from the experience of just being in this place and being in this ocean and seeing all the life that there is to you know interact with there's you know fish you know swimming around in huge like schools or dolphins whales just sharks also and you can interact with them you know and it's just, it's, it's really, it was an impressive game and really kind of caught me off guard. I mean, obviously I should have expected as much since I love Journey, but it, it was a very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it was both similar and different from Journey in a lot of different ways. It's hard for me to describe, but it's definitely worth a very wonderful experience that I'm never going to forget. I haven't played it, but so Rachel did kindly provide me with a link to a video so I could see what it looks like. Um, and yeah, it looks, it, it was remind, reminding me of like a few games from the past. I seem to remember, I think I only played a demo, but there was like, I don't know what generation of PlayStation it was, but I think it was called like Endless Ocean or something. There was, a, mm-hmm. and it was just pretty much just a diving game where you just swim around and, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. And also, there's a little bit of a Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> oh, Echo the Dolphin. No, there's a throwback. Yeah. There's a real big throwback. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like that. I mean, the fact that it's, you know, you're, you are dodging some of the dangers of the ocean, but again, it's not to the point where it really takes out your experience. Um, one of the things that they added into this game that I really appreciated because um, they they obviously really did their research when it came to uh, designing this game in terms of the different types of fish that they included because I believe, what's the number? I think I had it written down here. Um, they have about 
over 200 species of fish. So based on, you know, their real life counterparts that are in this game. And they've um, gone out of their way to make sure that um, they name all of these fish. Make sure you know exactly what you're looking at because there is a feature in Abzu where, for example, if you're pausing to save your game, you just sit on these little statues underwater and you, if the word is um, meditate, as you meditate underwater. And then while you're meditating, you can go back and forth to the different types of fish that are in the um, area that you're currently in. And it actually tells you the name of the species. Uh. So you literally learn, you know, not only are you swimming around and enjoying the scenery, but you're also learning about the different types of fish that live in or um, creatures that live in this particular environment. And as I said, that, um, that varies from environments that have, you know, like, like tall kelp forests and all the way to like a big open ocean and even all the way down to the, the dark depths of uh, like the, um, what's like, what's the, I can't, I can't remember the name of the, like the, the, the deepest parts of the ocean, like the very bottom, like, you know, ocean floor, like, you know, angler fish and basically the really scary part of the ocean. It's like Blue Planet, the interactive <laughs> experience. Yeah, and I mean, there is there is an actual story being present uh, presented in um, Abzu as well, but it's more, again, it's more of the visuals telling the story. There's no real written dialogue or anything going on. It's really just, you know, you piecing together the clues from what you're seeing to tie into what the story is actually about. And um, that is told primarily, like I said, visuals, whether, you know, by your explore exploration and also uh, encountering a lot of these uh, really ancient looking shrines, which are where you restore the life of a particular area of uh, ocean and um, some hieroglyphics as well, which you find kind of scattered through these different temples telling you the story of like, okay, there was a certain ancient civilization. That, that's part of the, was really uh, familiar to Journey and the fact that that was how you learned about what had happened primarily in the story. The focus point of the story was through um, these hieroglyphics. But whereas Journey had a cutscene dedicated to that to show the passage of time, um, this is a lot more vague. It basically, you know, you can choose to look at these hieroglyphics as you swim by or not. You could just completely bypass them and just go straight forward and keep going. But um, I don't know. Part of the vagueness to it kind of really, I, I, I liked it. It was an interesting touch to differentiate it from uh, the previous, you know, from Journey. But um, I guess, and one of the cool things that I um, found out retroactively um, from playing this, or not only just playing the game, but also um, there is a video discussing that I found discussing some of the technical aspects of animating Abzu. It's called Art of Abzu um, from the Game Developers Conference last year, where um, yeah. which was really super cool because we got into some specific technical uh, information regarding what they did to animate this uh, this game. Because believe it or not, they did not have a uh, designated animator on the team yeah. of thirteen people. They um, had to uh, cut a few corners, or at least they had to uh, find a way around the fact that they had no dedicated animator in order to solve the game's technical challenges, um, such as animating over 200 uh, different species of fish where you could have occasionally like over 10,000 fish swimming on screen at one time. Like you'll see, and if you play the game for yourself or you look at any videos of it, you'll see like giant schools of fish, you know, um, swimming in a circle. Just like, and they have to animate all those different fish. And so um, in this talk, they actually go over what they were able to do in terms of animating because they couldn't really use um, 
the typical uh, character animation uh, method, like um, I think it was the um, the skeleton. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, I really it's it's, a, it's uh, off the back. But this is why I'm unfortunately not a, t- a technical. <laughs> I can't. I have I have no animation experience myself, so I really can't speak to the technical uh, aspects of animation. But I really want to, and that's why I'm trying to learn more about it uh, via some of these talks, and also uh, from people who actually work in the industry. Um, uh, but okay, yeah, skeletal rigs. That was the the uh, the word I was looking for. So while they originally used that for some of the characters, for all these different fish that they have to animate to be on screen at one time, I think they uh, the word that was used, I think, was called static mesh. Static mesh instancing. Okay. Um, again, I am not. A, I unfortunately really do not have a, uh, much experience in regards to that particular, um, you know, in- information regarding what that is. So, I'm going to make sure that I leave a note for this particular talk. It is uh, free to watch on YouTube, and I will make sure to include that in the show notes. So, if you're curious about that um, and how they were able to put this game together, you can go ahead and watch it. It's a very, very good talk, and I really, I enjoyed personally watching it and I learned so much just of how they were able to get all these fish animated because I originally thought that they they'd had an animator working on this game but they apparently did not so that was fascinating to learn wow um other things that I want to make mention um in regards to things players should know um if you're familiar with journey then you know that this is very um you know you're not don't expect a whole lot of action from this game it's a very much you know you play till you finish it and like as I said, I could I finished it in literally one night. There are a few puzzles to be aware of, but they're really just a matter of point A, point B. You know, open, you know, push this lever to turn open the gate, etc. Really, nothing that challenging. It's not a game that is meant to really challenge you. It is a game you're meant to kind of just go through and experience the story and the visuals. So if you're not if you're not sure if that would really entertain you then i wouldn't recommend this game but if you're looking for you know a more calm experience just kind of enjoy you know a game you can do in a night then abzu is definitely the game for you is it just a digital game on playstation network no actually it has been released on a multitude of different platforms and let me sure i have the list up here so i can tell you exactly what's available for and we'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well it is available for and i quote playstation 4 Microsoft Windows, and Xbox One. Okay, I should have mentioned earlier, Horizon Zero Dawn is a PlayStation 4 exclusive. I should... Yes, so yeah. I think it's important to know, like, make sure to mention where we can, where people can purchase these games if they are curious to play them. Mm. But it's, it is available on disc and also download, so... Yes. yes. And the same goes, I think, I'm not sure if a disc exists for Abzu, because I, again, I got this through uh, via digital download, but um, it is available for all these different systems for both Microsoft Windows, uh, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. Sweet. Yep. It is a cool game, and it is beautiful, so if you have an opportunity to play it, then I highly recommend doing so. It is. It was a very well done game, and uh, this new studio, um, Giant Squid Studios, did a fantastic job with it, and so you should definitely uh not only just play the game if you play the game follow that student follow them on their uh twitter feed and definitely uh tell them what you think because i'm sure they appreciate the feedback it is available on disc as well for playstation 4 and xbox one excellent very good at a modest price 
yeah, it's a very short game, so I, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, it's um, I'm I'm just looking on Amazon UK at the moment, and it's um, sixteen pounds thirty-five on PlayStation Four, and twenty-four twenty-four. That's a strange price on Xbox One. So, <laughs> or four ninety-nine on Steam. And I got it for about for the PlayStation Network. Ne- PlayStation Network. I got it for nineteen ninety-nine uh, yeah. uh, dollars. Okay. But yeah, uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and I'll make sure to leave all those extra content in the show notes, but definitely check it out. So I'm going to pass the mic back to you, Chris, and another game that you've had a chance to play that you would like to talk about. And if I recall correctly from when we were talking about this off air, um, we are going to be taking a look at uh, one of Naughty Dog's recent games. Yes, their most recent release today, I believe, um, came out last around last summer or sort of August to September sort of time 2017 mm-hmm. I believe um I'm I won't go on too long cuz um we've been talking quite a while and uh, these are supposed to be not quite so long podcasts as the main show um <laughs> but and also I don't have that much to say on it I um but I am a fan of the uncharted series uh, I am a fan, apparently, of games where people run around in in tombs and things like that. Um, because you're an Indiana um, Jones fan, aren't you? Yeah, one of my favourite games growing up was Tomb Raider, and then I loved. Then I moved on. Then Enchanted came out. I was like, wow, this is like Tomb Raider updated, only probably a bit better. And then uh, they brought out the um, Tomb Raider reboot, which was sort of oh this is like then influenced by uncharted but done a bit better and then <laughs> then i guess more uncharted games out and they went oh, that's maybe a bit better than the last tomb raider and then <laughs> then, rise like of, then rise of the tomb raider came out and it's the best one yet um yeah <laughs> so um and this is a spin-off from the uncharted games featuring two of the female characters from the Uncharted storylines. Um, but I have to be honest, mm-hmm. I haven't finished any of the other games. I have <gasps> them all. So I could be spoiling myself completely. I don't know. I don't really know where they pop up in the story. I didn't know. <laughs> no, I do recognize one of the characters from Uncharted 4. Um, Nadine, oh. I believe is her name. Yes. Um, they're both sort of um, roguish freelance operators of people sort of on, on the, the peripherals of legality or completely on the other side of it, to be honest. Um, yeah, and the interesting thing about this game is obviously Uncharted games centre on Nathan Drake, the um, explorer, but these games are, yeah, they are, um, I think one of them's, one of those is a thief, one of them is like a... Yeah, Chloe is... Chloe Frazier is the one of the primary characters. She is a character that was introduced in Uncharted 2. She was a thief, or is a thief. <laughs> yeah, and the, the other one's like a mercenary. Um, and uh, this is... They, so it centers on two female characters, which is new for the Uncharted thing. And I, when I was playing it, I realized, oh, actually, this is a, um, this is a game for a major franchise featuring two non-white women in the lead, which is kind of kind of awesome. 
And it the, is. It is. And the fact that these both of these ladies are very interesting characters in their own right, even though they were supporting cast in uh, previous Uncharted games, I really like how they've been given a chance to shine here. And I mean, I was already very big um, fan. I played Uncharted 2 before, and I really loved Chloe's character. And I love the fact that, A, when they made the announcement for this game, that she would be getting uh, some time in the spotlight. And even though I wasn't, at the time, I didn't know Nadine all that well until I had a chance to get and, you know, play a little bit of Uncharted 4. I like the fact that we have these kind of, like you said, um, roguish women, but they're not necessarily like femme fatales. They're just women who basically just, you know, go, at, you know, go after what they want, whatever that may be, and don't really, you know, have to, you know, don't really abide by the laws for that. And that, that I find that for an interesting character dynamic between the two of them, since they both come from kind of different, but at the same time, still similar uh, mindsets. And it definitely starts out differently from the other games, because he thought that um, it's got like an urban Indian setting to start off with, which is which is uh, different from the other games. Um, mm-hmm. But um, the place where I've got to, it has, you are sort of basically in the jungle sort of area. So then it's, then it's much more familiar, uncharted territory, mm-hmm. ruins and stuff. And there's, I just remembered this awesome bit with a, where you, there's just monkeys playing around in the background. It's just like the details are really, really well done. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of um, par for the course now. At least with um, a lot of uh, Naughty Dog's action games, they love putting in as much detail as possible um, in terms of the animation, or at least just in the backgrounds. Because uh, I remember Call looking at the um, The Last of Us and being able to just like explore an environment and seeing how much stuff that they put into that environment to make it feel like to make it feel real. And I definitely, even though I have not played and finished uh, Lost Legacy yet, I um, Uncharted Lost Legacy is the official title of this game. It it definitely has that same similar feel to it. Yeah, I I think it's maybe supposed to have a bit more of a a um a bias towards like puzzly things, isn't it? Isn't that kind of the sort of twist on it slightly? Yeah, it's a bit more focused on puzzles. Yeah, than say the, than action set pieces like um the traditional uh. Uncharted games where Nathan Drake would have a lot of uh, action set pieces where they'd be running from someone trying to get them down. Not that there isn't in there isn't that isn't in this game. They definitely are. In they it. definitely yeah. are for sure. Yeah. Especially in the, from the first like thirty minutes of the game, there's a huge, yeah. huge one. But um, that's not. It doesn't seem to be the primary focus of this of this game. Uh, and if you know the Uncharted uncharted series then you know that those games are well known for sort of um uh sort of spark, sparky dialogue and and uh, character relationships and things and that is a big big part of the appeal of this game because uh, mm-hmm. they've, they've got sort of a fun a fun sort of relationship you know it's kind of like your typical sort of mismatched buddies type relationship but a um you know, it's it's a spin of of it being two women, which you don't see that often. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's the biggest appeal for me. And aside from the the usual stunning visuals that Naughty Dog includes includes in their action games, but it's just the um the way that these two characters interact off each other was the the strongest aspect of this game, and the writing really supports that. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, they they they're always um sort of bickering and and uh, poking fun at each other and stuff. Um, yeah, it's cute. It's char- it's charming. It's charming, witty witty banter. I'm I'm sure there are plenty of shippers out there as well. <laughs> oh, mean, you you guarantee there's there are shippers for everything, and yep. I mean everything. Everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I haven't. I am bad at games, and I've got stuck. But um, I've been enjoying myself a great deal with this game, and this game is called Uncharted. The Lost Legacy, in case I, I didn't mention it. I think I did. I hope so. Yes, and, we did. We did. Yeah, and it is on PlayStation 4 exclusively uh, and PS Pro, PlayStation 4 Pro, whatever. Um, and it is available on disc and, and digitally. And it's worth... Also, it's one of the cheaper games as well, I think. Really? Uh, How yeah. much is it going for? Well, it was... Yeah. I think it, when it came out, it was like... Uh, in the UK, I think it was released at like 25... 25 quid 24.99 so um i mean it might be as i guess it's possibly a short slightly shorter game than like the classic yeah that would make sense and i I think some people who got the um i think if you bought like a deluxe edition of um uncharted 4 like premium pre-ordered fancy pants day one edition or something i think some people might have got it as a um as a bonus oh okay yeah i think i heard about that cannot confirm or deny this though yeah currently amazon is uk is showing it for 22 pounds 69 so yeah pretty reasonably priced yeah i'd say so for a solid action adventure game if you are a fan of uncharted then you should add this to your collection because it is good Mm mm-hmm like I said, I don't have that much to say apart from it's really great. And the animation is beautifully done and uh, the characters are fun and I like the dynamic between them and I want to see where it goes next. Definitely. Yeah, and it's definitely another very strong mark in terms of what uh, Naughty Dog's approach to animation or its animated scenes. And I really, it continues to blow me away just how in-depth it is and I love the fact that they're just, you know, continuing to keep the quality with not just the Uncharted series, but also um, the, uh, like, stuff like The Last of Us. Like, it, it seems like with each subsequent re- release, they get better and better and better and better. So, definitely, if you're looking to see, like, what, like probably one of the, like, um, the more, like, with how, like, some of the best work in, like, motion capture and handcrafted animation regards to its cinematics, Uncharted, these recent games for both Uncharted 4 and this game are some of the best examples of that. So definitely check that out if you're, if you're interested. And we'll leave, make sure to leave a link to the games in the show notes as well. They've come a long way from Crash Bandicoot. They have indeed. Um, the last game that I wanted to talk about was um, less so an animation game, but I do really appreciate the way that they um, take the storytelling is a game that I actually purchased on that came out, let's see if we're double-checking on the release date for this game. It was... It was originally released on August 2017, but it's actually just released for Nintendo Switch this year, and that is a little game by the name of Subsurface Circular. It is a text adventure game developed by Mike Bithell, who is a British uh, game designer and developer. Um, he originally hit it big with uh, an independently developed project uh, platforming game called Thomas Was Alone, 
which I've heard of that. I have played that game also. It was very, very fun. I really liked the concept of it and how well written it was. And that's something if you've played any of uh, Bithel's games, you notice is uh, kind of a common trend with his games. He's always does a really super good job with writing, with the game's writing. And that's one of the, um, I think it got a, um, the Thomas Was Alone got sold over a million copies and uh, even won a BAFTA for best performance for the um, the game's narrator. Uh, Danny. Really? And that's, you know, part of that is, you know, the actor himself, Danny Wallace, portraying the... Ah, yeah. I know him. <laughs> he did a great job. And I guess that's part, part of it is his performance, but also a huge part of that uh, performance is played in how he delivers the lines, you know, written for the game. And that was, you know, both of those tied into the, good you know, great performance that was Thomas was alone. And that was a big reason why it was, uh, was such a big hit when it came out was because it was just a really interesting way to frame the events of the story you know with the gameplay and back and you know vice versa but um and he's made quite a few games since thomas was alone and they've varied from a multitude of different platforms but um subsurface circular is kind of his take uh bithel's take on a text adventure game uh where you're it the story is set in a kind of futuristic society um where uh, a bunch of these humanoid or not say necessarily um, humanoid looking but um just they walk on two legs and they just you know they're definitely robotic and like uh in look called techs who have been kind of taking up a bunch of different you know jobs and you know in society and so it's kind of been like a balance between well what what techs are allowed to do versus what humans can do you know doing the jobs that humans won't do is for the jobs for the robots etc and we play as a detective tech which which we don't really get to uh get a specific name of because we actually get to name the the robot um who sits on a train an underground train and uh, discovers uh from speaking to another tech that someone or something has been abducting a bunch of different techs and we don't know what the reason for it is so the premise of the game is discovering the you know the cause of this mystery and getting to the bottom of it while never leaving this train car you're just you're you're locked in place. You can't move in, you can't move around anywhere. All you can do is just talk to the other techs that are coming on and off the train car and getting their opinions and thoughts on the world and what's been going on to see if they have any information to give you in terms of you know figuring out the you know the clues to solve this mystery. And because of that, this is a very text-driven game. And as I said, there's really visually not too much else going on other than just being able to see the different types of text walking on and off the train car. But what I think that something that I uh, found really fascinating about this game, and again, this is a testament to Bethel's writing, is the fact that how much information you glean about the society just from these conversations, you know, however you decide to, you know, take your approach to talking with these other uh, machines, but how much you learn about the society as a whole just by talking to them. You never really see it, at least so far that I've played you just stay in this one train car this entire time. But it's amazing how much when you, how much as you learn more, how much you're starting to picture what the society looks like yourself. And I thought that was really, really worth praising because of the fact that it's just, it's, you're, it's using the best part of what, you know, writing does is being able to take what you're seeing, you're reading off the screen and then picturing it in your own, in your own head. Uh, yeah. I haven't played this either, but again, you provided me with the link to the video. Uh, 
I have to say, it's not the most dynamic thing to watch. <laughs> no, it, it might it might be interesting to play, but just watching a video, yeah, there's someone picking some choices. There we go. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's not a it's not a really easily game. It's not an easy game to watch a let's play of. Let's put it that way, because it is there is literally no voiced dialogue, and it's just reading the text as it comes up and solving the puzzles based on what you read and. While that may that it is like you said, it's more fun to play than probably to watch, because <laughs> it is a bunch of robots sitting in a train car just talking to each other. That is the game. <laughs> but even so, like as I said, because of the fact you know that really there's not too much to speak on the animation of this game, I do like the fact that they have um, the different poses. Like say, if you see a tech sitting on a train car, like depending on their pose or how they're sitting in the in the car, that kind of will give you a hint as to what kind of, I mean, not necessarily what their job is, but their, the temperament of the tech that you're about to speak to. Like, um, for example, there's a nanny, uh, nanny tech that comes onto the train. And I love the way you can immediately tell, like, there's something different about this tech when uh, it sits down because it kind of sits very properly and primly, like with its hands kind of clasped again, you know, uh, on its lap or like a psychologist tech, which comes and sits down on the train and kind of has rests its, "Quote unquote head or face on um, on its on its wrist, just kind of like like very contemplatively." And I like the I like being able to like have those visual cues, looking at the different robots as they come on and off the train to kind of give you an idea of what you're about to talk to. Mary Poppins, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean, you you'd almost you'd almost be right, but it's just like it's. I love being able to converse with these different characters, and there are a lot of really neat personality types to them, and the writing, again, keeps things interesting, but as we said before, much, this is a game I recommend playing more than watching, if you have the opportunity to do it, and it's not really all that expensive. I was able to get it on a discount, I think it was about less than, just under $20 on uh, Steam, which is where I found it, but as I said, it's um, released on Steam, um, also on uh, Nintendo Switch. So if you have a Nintendo Switch, then uh, I would definitely recommend getting this game to play. If you're uh, into the text adventure games, if you're not into text adventure, if you're not into reading lots and lots of dialogue, then you're probably not going to want this game. <laughs> <laughs> lots of reading there be and having to read between the lines in order to solve information in order to solve the puzzles that are tied to this game, which is basically, okay, talk to this tech learn some information, use it to talk to this tech and see what their opinion is on whatever's going on and see if you can um, use this code phrase in order to unlock this uh, sports, this sports tech sponsorship uh, <laughs> or, or promotional code thing. So it stops talking about energy drinks, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So if that sounds interesting to you, um, then definitely check this game out. If not, then I would say give it a pass. But yeah, I think that more or less wraps up wraps up our very first episode of the uh, AFA Gaming Podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll, uh, as we said, keep uh, you know be sure to give us your feedback in regards to how we handle this first episode. If you want to see more, if you want to hear more episodes um, and, and on specific topics, uh, you can uh, send us a message on any number of any one of our many social media outlets for animation for adults, and that is we have a Facebook page. Twitter handle at AFA blog. We also have a Pinterest account, Tumblr account, Instagram account. Um, 
you can also email us at pod, you know, uh, what's, what's the email, make sure I have the exact email address Chris, for our podcast email. Is podcast at animationforadults.com. The very same. Very good. And also, if you would like to support this particular series, as well as the official podcast, definitely look into, we'll make sure to leave our links to our Patreon page so you can go ahead and become a patron and support this podcast and the official one and the website as well so we can continue to create new content. If you also, there's, I believe, a subsequent tie to that, there's also, you can buy us a virtual cup of coffee at Kofi. So if you're not sure if you want to dedicate, uh, become a dedicated patron. Um, and am I forgetting anything? Okay. Um, Chris, where can we find you on social media? Uh, Mr. Crystal on Twitter. And you can follow me primarily on Twitter at Fail2Ninja. All right. I do believe that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in once again, and we will see you on the next episode of the AFA Gaming Podcast. Take care, everybody. Game over, man. Game over. Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> wah, wah, wah.